We present the unbelievable truth, the panel game built on truth and lies. In the chair, please welcome David Mitchell. Hello and welcome to the unbelievable truth, the panel show about fantastical truths and scurrilous lies. Many things that are commonly believed to be true are in fact false. For example, it's simply not true that Eskimos have a large number of words for snow. In fact, Eskimos have a relatively small number of words for snow. And in about 30 years, they won't need any of them. <laughs> Here to weave fact and fiction seamlessly to make a tartan blanket of comedy are Phil Jupiters, Tony Hawks, Graham Garden and Arthur Smith. This is how it works. Each panellist will present a short lecture that should be entirely false, save for five pieces of true information which they should attempt to smuggle past their opponents, cunningly concealed amongst the lies. Points are scored by truths that go unnoticed, while other panellists can win points if they spot a truth or lose points if they mistake a truth for a lie. We'll begin with Tony Hawks. Tony is often confused with superstar skateboarder Tony Hawk. Still, we're stuck with him now, so we'll make the best of it. Your subject, Tony, is teeth, defined by my dictionary as hard, calcified structures embedded in the jawbones of vertebrates that perform the primary function of mastication. Off you go, Tony. Fingers on buzzers, the rest of you. The following famous people never brushed their teeth. Gandhi, because he hardly had any food to brush away. Winston Churchill, on the grounds that he felt he never had to kiss anyone. And Mao Tung, because tigers never brush their teeth either. Graham. I think because tigers don't brush their teeth, it was Mao Tung, and that was true. Yes, that is absolutely <laughs> true. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. <laughs> Many people commented on virtuoso pianist Liberace's purple glow when he smiled. This was because false teeth are often radioactive. Phil. The, the radium, false teeth. I'm thinking... I'm not thinking straight. <laughs> no, go on. My nan had false teeth. And she admitted a clicking noise, like a Geiger counter. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. False teeth uh, used to be slightly radioactive. Uranium was used in the manufacture of them. It's not in, it's not in the clay, but they put the uh, uranium in because it gave them a nice natural glow. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the licence to use uranium in false teeth was revoked in the US in the 1980s. More people than you think have false teeth. Our esteemed host... Graham. I think three people have false teeth, so... <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's true. I'll, I'll happily give you the point, Graham, but you're essentially saying to the world that you're mentally subnormal. <laughs> that's no, a just, hell of a just, price to pay, isn't it? Yeah. Just ill-informed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think oh, you think right. that. No. Sorry, I don't Thank believe you. you. Thank you, David. Our esteemed host, David Mitchell, for example, has false teeth. Cheryl Crow, to name another. Daniel Radcliffe, to name... Phil. Cheryl Crow, uh, their crowns, their caps. You're right, you're absolutely right. She says they were knocked out by a waitress with a beer mug. <laughs> James Dean used to take his false teeth out to scare off fans. Arthur. That sounds plausible to me. I mean, that generation of people and Hollywood stars, they've all got false teeth, haven't they? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well yeah. done. You scared me off. Yeah. Yeah. He, um... Apparently lost his two front teeth in a motorcycle accident yeah. in his youth. Could I just register some, some disappointment at this stage? In yes. that I've not managed to get any of my lie, uh, truth through. And I was expecting to get perhaps all of those through. Right. Um, and I haven't. 
I wasn't expecting you to get all of them through, but no. I suppose I am still disappointed with your performance. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think... You know. No, I think my performance has been fine. I think he was unlucky that Graham has only heard of three people before. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't. He didn't no, lose he didn't the point for that. that. I didn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, Cheryl Crow. I thought that was a banker, really. That no one was going to know that she had false teeth. I'm disappointed. Anyway, I'll carry on. Well, you but know, I'm just I'm, letting you know. What do you, what do you want through, Tony? Yeah. What do you want me to do? Tony? Well, I might go a bit quiet for the rest of the show. All right. <laughs> well, right. that would be a good way of bringing it round. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hang on. Oh, this, this might get a big laugh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous. I, I, know, I, know, I know you're a professional and everything, but that's not always the wisest course, <laughs> pre-joke. Let's and just... no, nobody buzzed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> James Dean used to take his false teeth out to scare off his fans. David Mitchell tried the same, but it had the opposite effect, as it enhanced his appearance. <laughs> See what's funny about that? <laughs> I think, judging by the sound of that laugh, it was only women laughing there. <laughs> so you're saying only women find me hideous? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's not you bad. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that going to be a disadvantage in life, do you think, or not? Uh, yes, I think yes, it is. Okay, yes, okay, let's move. Suddenly I feel a bit chipper like, more about the show. Yeah, nothing no. like spreading around the disappointment. <laughs> You're disappointed at your performance in a panel game? I've got a lifetime of loneliness ahead of me. <laughs> you had anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, but, you know, leave me my hope. <laughs> Let's now discuss some hit songs that have been inspired by teeth. Without You was originally written by Harry Nielsen, and it was all about a tooth that had been removed. Barry Manilow's I Can't Smile Without You was dedicated to his dentist. And the girl from Ipanema was based on a young Brazilian lass who worked as a dental assistant near a beach in Rio. Phil. True. No, not true. No? No. What, the, the girl False. from Ipanema? <laughs> yeah. I actually went to Ipanema, I went to where that was written, which is a restaurant and not a dentist surgery. The clue was in where I went on my holiday. Yeah. But it could have been, she's, in the yeah. song, she's walking by the restaurant, possibly on her way to working yeah. at the dentist. Also, it makes sense that she would have been a dental hygienist, because when she walks, every time she walks, people go, ah. <laughs> <laughs> what they miss from the end of that song is and rinse. <laughs> in Louisiana, biting someone with your natural teeth is simple assault. Whereas biting someone with your false teeth is aggravated assault. Arthur. I like that. Are <laughs> <laughs> you just buzzing because you like it? Or? Yeah. Well, I not only like it, I love it so much I choose it to be true. And you choose correctly. Oh. Well done. I'm assuming... I'm assuming that the idea is that if you bite someone with just your normal teeth, that that, that isn't a weapon, whereas actually false teeth yeah, are a sort of concealed weapon. You could sharpen them, put little razor blades in the end of them. <laughs> God, you've got an active imagination. <laughs> well, they're radioactive anyway, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Um, Tony, at the end of that round, you've managed to smuggle no truths <laughs> past the rest of the panel, which means... Which means that you have yet to score. No. The fillings in people's teeth have been known to pick up radio waves in much the same way that digital radios don't. 
<laughs> OK, we now turn to Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith's real name is Brian Smith. This was recently voted least interesting showbiz fact ever. <laughs> Your subject, Arthur, is pants, underpants or knickers. Clothes worn under other clothes next to the skin for warmth, protection, support and sometimes erotic effect. In the early 19th century, the words pants and trousers were considered obscene in England. Women referred to trousers as inexpressibles or a pair of dittos. And now... Phil, uh, we were so uptight. If that's not true, I just wish it was. <laughs> no, that is true. Well done, yes. Oh. And now, some statistics. In surveys, the following facts have emerged. 62% of females have flashed their underwear at a policeman on New Year's Eve. 85% of men do not use the front opening of their underpants when they urinate. Tony. I think 85% of men don't use the front opening of their underpants when they urinate. What do you think they do? <laughs> I think they... <laughs> And, and, and speak low and slow. <laughs> <laughs> they, hoist, they hoist the whole pant down from the top. Very informative programme, this, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that's, that's absolutely true. That is what 85 uh, men do. Apparently only a matter of time before underpant designers stop putting a hole at all. <laughs> Um, while we're on the subject, uh, there was a Japanese firm, I forget the name of it, that did a survey about the weeing habits of the male staff. In 1999, 15% of men were sitting down to wee. Yeah. And that rose, to, in the last survey, years ago, to 40%. In Japan? In Japan, in this company in but Japan. Presumably I mean, that's so lazy! <laughs> and it, that's I just, what I, women do, I believe. Uh, yeah, but they've got better reasons. I think they, these, I, it just proves well, that actually, well, contrary well, to popular belief, the Japanese more, are the laziest more, people in the world. There's more yeah. work involved in sitting down. I think you should remember that Japan has a lot of earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> Seven point two percent of male students now buy their underpants from second-hand charity shops. <laughs> Married men change their underwear twice as often as single men. Phil, we're just depressed. Of course we do. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely true. Oh. Yeah. In the state of Ohio, men are prohibited from entering ladies' lingerie stores unless accompanied by a woman. Tony. Generally speaking, these US states all have one completely ludicrous thing, and obviously that would be a good reason for including one to trick someone like me into buzzing. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've followed the whole story there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, now usually it could well be true, but yeah. no. Tony, you're right yeah. uh, in the thing about American states, so... In the state of Minnesota, <laughs> it is against the law to hang male and female underwear together on the same washing line. Oh, Tony, you Look, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that time it's definitely true. Yes, no, it is true. That time it's true. Yeah. Yeah. In parts of Japan, you can buy Wi-Fi enabled pants. <laughs> <laughs> what would that be? <laughs> Thank you, Arthur. <laughs> um, Arthur, you have also managed to smuggle no points past the rest of the, the panel. It's a good night for truth. 
That's what I, you know, I'd like to say. A triumph for truth, I'd say. Triumph for truth. Yeah. Bit of a sticky night for the format. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, that means that you've scored no points. <laughs> Not wearing underwear is referred to as going commando, meaning that everything is out in the open and ready for action. Although it could refer to the current practice of our armed forces of simply not having enough protection and being horribly exposed. <laughs> Ooh, satire. Satire. <clears throat> right, it's now the turn of Phil Jupitus. Phil's family migrated from Lithuania, arriving in the Isle of Wight in 1917. And if you want to know what the Isle of Wight was like in 1917, you can go there now. <laughs> Your subject, Phil, is the Vikings, Scandinavian seafaring warriors who raided and colonised wide areas of Europe from the 9th to the 11th century. Fingers on buzzers, the rest of you, off you go, Phil. There have been many great civilizations throughout history, but the Viking... Oh, here we go. Graham. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have. <laughs> yes, I, I think undoubtedly they have, unless, yeah, unless we are to... Disparage all human endeavour. Well, let's do that, come on. Let's disparage all human endeavour. <laughs> Everything has always been crap. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, I, I, that wasn't one of Phil's uh, right. truths, yeah. but I think you get a point for that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The Vikings were, without a shadow of a doubt, history's worst sailors. But what they lacked in navigational finesse, they made up for with extreme violence. Arthur. Well, I think that's true. They, you know, probably. I mean, those funny boats couldn't have got very far, could they? And uh, they were famously very good at raping and pillaging. I mean, I think they introduced the the combination. It's not the jacket potato and turf. Such an attractive combination. <laughs> No, but the thing is, they didn't actually lack navigational finesse at all. They were brilliant sailors, considering that they really, they, you know, didn't have, like, outboard motors or compasses or yeah. GPS or anything. Mm. Unless all they meant to do was pot around the coast. <laughs> In which case, they got blown way off course. And it was only irritation at that that led to the aforementioned rape and pillaging. <laughs> um, but so, no, that's not true. Phil. Like a precursor to the modern-day booze cruise, Norse mariners would drink gallons of cheap vodka and set sail. This is undoubtedly how Eric the Red discovered a new world, which he was so keen for people to settle on that he went home describing it as a lush paradise which he named Greenland, which then, in truth, was not only not green, it was barely even land. Ah, Tony. I know this. They actually, it wasn't green at all. It was all done to make it sound like a brilliant place and tempt them to go there. That's absolutely right. Yes, well done. It's just, essentially, it's, it's the equivalent of showing British holidaymakers a picture of fantastic... Um, what do they call them? You know, when you buy a flat in Spain, but you... That's it! Thank you. <laughs> they were very good at PR, is it? They yeah, invented yeah. PR, it was, the It Vikings. was like PR for a timeshare, saying, oh, look, yeah. this is lovely, you know, it's only a drawing, though, in fact, it's a building site. Are you going to give some of your fee to that bloke down there? <laughs> um... Because that bit think? of material was nothing without him. Yeah. <laughs> he's already on my style. Oh, OK. He's, uh, he's my noun guy. Okay. No, <laughs> and, but you're quite right. It was called Greenland to make it sound lovely, and it was, in fact, snowy and horrible. Yeah. Although it's less snowy now. <laughs> uh, Phil. And like anybody, 
The motivation for leaving their homes and travelling was simply good times. After releasing their direction-finding raven, or Ravnav, they set off in search <laughs> of brighter shores. Graham, I have a feeling they did use ravens to uh, navigate with. They did, yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. 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 They'd... Um, they used to take a lot of ravens on board the ship with them and they'd release one and if it flew back the way they'd come, that meant they weren't near any other land. And if it flew forwards, they'd mm -hmm. essentially follow it because it would be flying towards land. One use it... only, though, wasn't it? Yeah, they had to have a lot of ravens. Yeah. And they also <laughs> had to pick sailors who didn't find raven delicious. <laughs> they also had to trust the, the raven a lot, didn't they, really? Because, I mean, one mad raven in the, in yeah. the lot... And they were finished. They were dead. Yes, you're right. But there must be a terrible inbuilt Scandinavian fear of mad birds, for example. <laughs> I met some mad birds in Scandinavia. <laughs> the Vikings left their mark wherever they went, but perhaps their most enduring export is the custom of getting hammered and taking your shirt off just before having a fight. It's tragic to think that had they just turned left sooner and headed a bit further south, they would have hit the Costa del Sol instead. Tony. I think he's right with the directions. I, I think they would have ended up on the Costa del Sol. I don't think so. Why don't you throw up in a raven and find out? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, I, it's certainly not an official tour. Oh, wouldn't they end up in Belgium or something? I mean, if you come in from Norway, <laughs> look, let's trace it out here. If you come out from southern Norway and do a left, you hit Denmark straight yeah, exactly. away. You're going to go straight well, into the Baltic. it's not the Costa del Sol, is it? No. Yeah. You'd have to turn left a lot later. <laughs> we sound like the worst cabbies you've ever been with. Don't you? No, 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 you come out of Norway, do a left. I'm not going south of the channel this time, and I. <laughs> So, yes, I think that's not, yeah. not true. Yeah. The Vikings went pagan god crazy. Every time a new concept cropped up in Norse society, somebody had to come up with a god for it. This delightfully random methodology is how they ended up with such unlikely deities as Larg, the god of alcohol, <laughs> Ull, the god of snow-based footwear, and Latka, the god Arthur. Yeah, Latka, I remember Latka. Uh, I've just heard that word, Latka. I, I was in a pantomime in Denmark for a bit. Um, <laughs> I really was. It was uh, Lacta, the goddess of dairy goods. Yeah, I don't think Lacta, the goddess of dairy goods, exists. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling a bit foolish now. <laughs> Easy as it is to criticise the psychopathic Scandinavian beastmen. Great. Well, it's very easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with Phil, because I think he said easy as it is. He didn't say it is easy. <laughs> Carry on, Phil. OK. At least the Vikings gave boring old Britain some rock and roll. Like Oasis, only slightly less mental, they turn up in a new town, make a din, upset the locals and leave. So what if they were heavily armed nutcases in funny hats? Without the Vikings, we would have no Elvis. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. At the end of that round, you've smuggled three truths past the rest of the panel, although obviously also made up some other truths accidentally, which you didn't <laughs> smuggle past. 
but um, the three you got past were that the, the Vikings can claim some responsibility for the custom of getting hammered and taking your shirt off before having a fight, because the Vikings did fight stripped to the waist and, and were known to drink ale before a fight, and that was very well, do you, When you effective. have a fight, David, do you not strip off to the waist? Um, I've never had a fight. <laughs> well, Kel surprise. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that stripped off to the waist? Doubt God, no. Oh. No, I... I've been clothed <laughs> since the age of two. <laughs> um, I find that if you strip to the waist from the shoes up, the fight doesn't last anywhere near a day. <laughs> <laughs> Off come the unmentionables and wallop. <laughs> the second truth is that Ull is the Viking god or was the Viking god of snow-based footwear. <laughs> and the third truth is that without the Vikings, there would be no Elvis in the I sense gonna, I was that... I going to say that. It's a, it's a word, is it? Or a well, name? The, yeah, yeah, the name Elvis okay. comes from the Old Norse, meaning yeah. all wise. Yeah. Never has it been more appropriately yeah. applied. <laughs> uh, which means, Phil, you've scored three points. <laughs> Many Norse words have formed part of our English language. The god Wodin gave his name to Wednesday. We get hurrah from huzzah, the Norse battle cry. And, of course, saga was the Norse word for a series of coach tours, boating holidays, and, <laughs> and late-start life insurance plans. Now it's the turn of Graham Garden. Your subject, Graham, is Birmingham, a metropolitan borough in the West Midlands and the second-largest city in the United Kingdom. Off you go, Graham. Birmingham is chiefly notable for having a population of nil. <laughs> This is quite simply due to the fact that it is on the moon. Arthur. I, I think there's something like, a, you know, a, a place, Lake Birmingham, or the moon as a name uh, is, is registered as Birmingham somewhere, and therefore that is true, you know. You, you think the moon's called Birmingham? <laughs> <laughs> it does look that way, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Were you brought up to call it Birmingham? <laughs> Very romantic in this Birmingham light. No, I'm not... <laughs> Um, Birmingham, it becomes you. <laughs> no, but I bet there's somewhere on the moon that's known as Birmingham. There is, you're absolutely yes, right. Oh. Yeah. Uh, there, is, there is a crater. <laughs> there is a crater on the moon called Birmingham, but it is not named after the city. It's named in honour of the Irish astronomer John Birmingham. Mm. It's also a lot livelier than the real Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> Birmingham narrowly missed out on being immortalised in the world of literature because Charlotte Bronte's first draft of Wuthering Heights was set in Smethwick. <laughs> However, her publisher persuaded her to change the location as Smethwick was notably lacking in wild and windswept heroines. There is, uh, a, lot of, uh, there is a lot of heroin, I believe, in Smethwick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but not heroines. Oh. Sorry. However, many years later, J.R.R. Tolkien did take the name for one of his hobbits from Birmingham surgeon and inventor of cotton wool, Dr. Samson Gamgee. In the 18th century, the women of Birmingham were famous for their long, thick, wiry hair. At that time, the city's many prostitutes would earn a little on the side by cutting off their hair and selling it to stuff luxury furniture. Arthur. Certainly all the... Brummy prostitutes I've known <laughs> have had that as a bit of a sideline. Well, I mean, I'm, in many ways, I'm sure we should defer to you as an expert. <laughs> but, uh, 
But not as far as we know. No, so. I think I'll give up. Graham's too good at this. <laughs> that would be a great advert, though, wouldn't it? Mmm, you can really feel the whore. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was soon a great demand for the so-called whore's hair sofas. <laughs> <laughs> Erasmus Darwin founded the Birmingham Lunar Society, which only met at the full moon. Tony. I think he did found that society. Yes, he did. Oh, absolutely right. Oh. During an epidemic of typhoid in Birmingham in the late 19th century, people took to drinking the so-called typhoid tea to make the boiled drinking water more palatable. When sales fell off after the epidemic was over, one enterprising Birmingham grocer called his product Typhoo Tea, which was much less scary. And the following year, he scored another success when there was an outbreak of head lice, and he sold coffee under the names Maxwell Louse and... <laughs> and Knits Cafe. Today, the people of Birmingham, or Birmingers, as they're properly called, <laughs> can be fined £25 if they have sex on the steps of any church after the sun goes down. Phil, please let that be true. <laughs> that is absolutely true, yes. <laughs> I don't know and that was the best £25 I've ever spent. <laughs> <laughs> The, impl the implication is that if you have sex on the steps of the church before the sun goes down, that's fine. <laughs> but the, the small effort to do it in the hours of darkness, a little bit of privacy, is despised. What about a twilight? Sort of £12.50. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the thing is, of course, it's cheaper than a travel lodge, isn't it? <laughs> and if you're into something a little bit kinky and ecclesiastical, then... All the better. The Lady Mayor of the City of Birmingham is none other than Katie Price, better known as Lebanon. <laughs> <laughs> she took over in April from the previous incumbent, BBC glamour Adrian Childs. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. <laughs> and at the end of that round, you've managed to smuggle two truths past the rest of the panel which are that J.R.R. Tolkien took the name for one of his hobbits from Birmingham surgeon and inventor of cotton wool, Dr. Samson Gamgee. And the second truth is that one enterprising Birmingham grocer called his product Typhoo Tea. But that means you've scored two points. Oh. Residents of Birmingham often point out that there are actually 22 more miles of canal in Birmingham than in Venice, proving that they've missed the point completely. <laughs> <laughs> Many great bands have come out of Birmingham UB40, Judas Priest and Ocean Colour Scene To name but none <laughs> Which brings us to the final scores In fourth place With minus one point We have Arthur Smith Still yet to score With no points It's Tony Hawks and in first equal place, with six points each, it's Phil Jupitus and Graham Garden. That's about it for this week. All that remains is for me to thank our guests. They were all truly unbelievable, and that's the unbelievable truth. Goodbye. <laughs>
The Unbelievable Truth was devised by John Naismith and Graham Garden and featured David Mitchell in the chair with panellists Tony Hawkes, Arthur Smith, Phil Jupiters and Graham Garden. The chairman's script was written by Dan Gaster. The producer was John Naismith. It was a random production for BBC Radio 4.